Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. Torrential rainfall had caused flash floods along the coastal cliff road in Sulcombe, South Devon. Once there was a break in the clouds on that remarkably wet summer day, holidaygoers seized the opportunity to make the most of their vacation. It was around 5pm on Sunday, June 27, 2021 when Charlotte Rowlings and her family left the beach and returned to the cottage where they were staying. The clothes designer was walking along the footpath by Bennett Road with her partner and parents when Charlotte's mother noticed something unusual. She later said, My mum looked over the wall and saw women's clothing. She said she thought it was a mannequin. My dad also commented it smelt like a dead badger. I saw what looked like a lady lying at the bottom of the steps. I saw a hand and immediately thought it was not a mannequin. It was a dead body, 
and her neck was at a funny angle, and I thought it may have been broken. There was nothing we could do for her. She was clearly dead. Charlotte immediately called 999. Oh, go ahead, call her. What's your emergency? Um, I just found a body. Right, okay. A, a, a body, is it? Are they breathing? No, they're dead. They look like they've um, possibly been there like a few days or something. Right. Right. right, okay. Bear me a second. Let's pop this on. What's the road? Yeah, what road are you on? Um, I'm in Salcombe. You're in Salcombe, um, sorry. Let, let me have a look. I can populate, hopefully, where you are. So, um, Bennett Road, are you quite near the harbour? Welcome to Season 7, Episode 45 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. While the witnesses patiently waited for help to arrive, other members of the public began looking over the wall, and Charlotte Rollins was surprised that no one had seen the body before. When emergency responders and police officers appeared, they cordoned off the area. While attending to the body, they immediately realised the head was missing and were certain they were looking at a murder victim. A few hours later, pathologist Dr Deborah Cook arrived on site to examine the remains. The victim was wearing a multicoloured patterned dress beneath a black Marks and Spencer quilted jacket. Inside her pocket, investigators found a plastic wallet, an Oyster public transport card, and business cards for a GP, a dentist, and an evangelical church. Other interesting artefacts that could lead to uncovering the woman's identity, or maybe the killer's, small pieces of paper inscribed with biblical quotes. On the victim's feet were strappy sandals. The handle of a purple handbag was looped inside one of them. Inside the bag, officers found a camera, some orange rope and a tote bag. Upon initial inspection, pathologist Dr Cook would describe the state of the remains. She said, It was apparent that the head and at least the first two bones that form the spine, that is the first and second cervical vertebrae, were absent. It would later be confirmed the larynx was also missing. The victim's body was taken to the mortuary the following day for a post-mortem. The remains were significantly decomposed, so it was difficult to ascertain an exact cause of death, but the pathologist did find injuries to the body, including multiple rib fractures and cuts to the torso. As investigators had searched the scene for more evidence, the victim's head was discovered 30 feet away in the undergrowth on July 1st. The pathologist would identify more evidence of an assault, including a skull fracture, suggesting a significant impact by a blunt object shortly before death. There were more concerning findings. 
the woman's head was also defleshed. As the victim had been wearing a headband, it was unlikely the damage was caused by animal predation. It seemed as though an individual with some level of skill using a blade had meticulously removed the woman's head from her body after death. Eventually, the woman was identified as 67-year-old Mi Quen Chong, who was reported missing from her Wembley home by her lodger on June 11th. This was over 250 miles away. Detective Superintendent Ben Deere from the Devon and Cornwall Constabulary said, The investigation is ongoing at the scene, is being treated as unexplained at this time, and we remain open-minded. I would appeal to anyone um, that understands or knows the movements uh, between the 10th of June and the tw- in London and uh, the lady being discovered on the 27th of June in Sulcombe. So hotel workers, B&B workers, self-catering, whoever it may be, just anyone to come forward. Malaysian-born Mi Quen Chong, known to many as Deborah, had lived in the Wembley area for 20 years. A devout Christian, she was a member of the Emmanuel Evangelical Church in Edgware, London, and attended services in Manor Park Crescent. After hearing of Deborah's death, one neighbour described her as eccentric, religious and pleasant, explaining that Deborah had never gone missing before. He said, She doesn't go away at all. You wonder how someone who was struggling to walk managed to get down to Devon. Finding out about the manner in which she was found is scary, not knowing whether that happened here or there or what. I understand the police have to keep things quiet, but to not know what happened to a neighbour is scary. A local student who was part of Deborah's church described her as vulnerable. 21-year-old Simeon Gittings had met Deborah at the Emmanuel Church a year earlier. He said, She was very curious and inquisitive about things. She always used to ask a lot of questions, a bit like a baby, but in a really sweet way, if that makes sense. I think because of that, she was a very lonely lady. I know she lived by herself, she didn't really have many friends. She was always nice, but I think people didn't want to get very close to her. She was a very vulnerable person. You could tell because she was very innocent and very trusting of people. When I read it, it upset myself and my family because we know that it wouldn't have been hard to lure her anywhere, especially because she was a Christian. All you'd really have to say is, oh, I'm a Christian, let's have a Bible study. She was so eager to learn, and so eager to find out more. Deborah Chong lived in a two-story house in Wembley, and often allowed lodgers to stay with her for little or no money. She was perceived as vulnerable due to ongoing struggles with her mental health and just two days before she went missing, 
a lodger David Klein had requested Deborah receive help from a carer. In March 2021, she was referred to the Brent Community Mental Health Team by the Fixated Threat Assessment Centre at Buckingham Palace. Consultant psychiatrist Dr Alison Callan from the Brent team later said, A referral was made when Deborah sent a number of letters addressed to Prince Charles and Boris Johnson. The contents of the letters contained nothing alarming, but they were bizarre suggesting she was having another episode of mental illness. Deborah had been admitted to a mental health unit in 2017. After coming to believe that she could communicate with Prince Charles through YouTube, she was prescribed antipsychotic medication to treat schizophrenia. Ira Khan, Deborah's next-door neighbour, spoke of how they would exchange messages on WhatsApp. Deborah often described how important religion was to her. Ira had last seen Deborah on the street where they lived on June 9th. Deborah did not seem like herself and needed assistance to walk. Ira said, She had messaged me about a lady called Gemma, who was an osteopath and spiritual healer who was helping her. She had told me that she was being healed by Gemma and by Jesus. After going through her phone and text messages, investigators began contacting people who regularly communicated with Deborah Chong. They found numerous messages from a woman named Gemma Mitchell. Mitchell was born in Australia in July 1984. Her parents had moved there for work a few years earlier from the UK and Mitchell's mother was employed at the British Foreign Office. Her parents' marriage ended in divorce a couple of years later so Mitchell, her sister and their mother Hilary Collard moved back to London. After completing secondary school, Mitchell began studying human sciences at King's College London in 2004 and graduated with first-class honours. She subsequently completed a degree course at the British School of Osteopathy and moved to Australia where she practised as an osteopath for around seven years. After returning to London in 2015, Gemma Mitchell moved into the family home on Brondesbury Park with her mother. The house had been purchased by Mitchell's grandmother decades before, and Mitchell had inherited the property. The mother and daughter decided to renovate the building and add a third storey to the home. They ended up paying over £230,000 to two different contractors. One went bankrupt after receiving £130,000. The other ceased working when they weren't paid more than £100,000. This left the property in a perpetual state of disrepair. It was missing a roof and covered in scaffolding. 
Gemma Mitchell did not register with the General Osteopathic Council upon her return to the UK, so she was not allowed to legally practice as an osteopath in the country. In 2018, Mitchell was fully immersed in the evangelical community, and it was at a Christian conference in London that same year. She met 18-year-old Karen Juritek. Karen and Mitchell developed a friendship, however it eventually soured. Karen told a reporter for the Sunday Mirror, We were quite close friends. I would say best friends. We would call and talk every day. We ended our friendship because she tried to steal my boyfriend. She's a nice person, but there was something extremely weird about her. All she wanted to do was talk about Jesus and the devil. She was obsessed with the Bible. She wanted to read it to me all the time or for me to read it to her. While they were friends, Karen had witnessed Mitchell tell the pastor at an evangelical service in North London that she wanted to be exorcised. Karen described how Mitchell began shouting and shaking when the pastor placed his hands on her head, and then she fell to the floor. Karen said, It was like something out of a horror film. What I saw completely freaked me out. She asked for everyone to pray for her and heal her, but when she started screaming, people were shocked. Gemma Mitchell's devout faith was something she had in common with Deborah Chong, and when they met through the church in August 2020, they quickly became close. Within a month, Deborah was counselling Mitchell through the issues with her home, and Mitchell offered Deborah financial advice. Deborah Chong had a substantial amount of money and was known to be overly generous at times. Deborah told Mitchell in an email, I am honoured to have you as my sister. Accept me as your friend and advise me. Deborah wanted to leave her home to charity in her will in order to avoid inheritance tax, and she was considering forming a charity with her lodger. However, he did not want to get involved. Gemma Mitchell offered an alternative and said, I would like to join the charity with you if David is reluctant to change his ways. I like accounting or you could transfer the house to me and pay into the charity each month. Deborah had told friends and acquaintances that she was being helped and healed by Mitchell. Deborah appreciated that her friends seemed to embody the same selfless qualities she had. Mitchell had messaged Deborah and told her, I have a passion for healing, homeless people and the elderly. By late 2020, Deborah Chong offered to finance the renovations to Gemma Mitchell's home. Deborah asked to meet with Mitchell's mother to make an agreement and offered to give them £200,000 to make the repairs if the house could be used for Christian worship. 
Deborah felt appreciated by Mitchell, who praised her in messages and said, You are the only one that wants to help me to the bits that matter. Practical stuff that shows love. You are truly of God. That said, Deborah slowly became frustrated with Mitchell's parasitic behaviour and withdrew her offer to fund the renovation. Mitchell's house was filled with junk and construction debris. Deborah felt that Mitchell was wasting money. In text messages, she told her, Stop being a hoarder. There is already enough work to be done in the house which you don't have money for. It's not logical. You have to get rid of stuff and live a simple life clear of all things untouched, unused. Mitchell continued to press the issue and spoke about her plans for a church room within the house, but Deborah was not convinced. She said, Live one day at a time. You will die before dreams and visions start to establish. By April 2021, Deborah Chong advised Mitchell to sell the home worth a staggering £4 million. Deborah said, Enjoy the moment. More construction will cost more money you don't have. During this time, their friendship became more strained as they argued about Mitchell's botched renovation project. At around 1am on June 8th, Deborah sent Mitchell a message that read, Until you sold house, I won't want you to come to me or my house. I am stressed to the core. Mitchell replied, Peace to you. God has a plan and purpose for this dwelling. Apologies if answering your question about the quotes caused you any uncertainty about your decision. Deborah unsuccessfully tried to convince Mitchell to let go of the house and the past by selling the property, but Mitchell could not be swayed. We have prayed on that option extensively and even brought estate agents in, Mitchell replied. It is not in God's plan. Although she was trying her best to counsel Gemma Mitchell, Deborah Chong's mental health had declined rapidly in the months prior. On June 10th, her lodger David spoke to a social worker and expressed his concerns. It was then he asked that a carer be allocated to Deborah to help with her care, as he was often out of the house working as a crane operator. Mitchell had asked Deborah if she could visit her on June 11th, and Deborah agreed, provided they did not talk about the renovations at Mitchell's home or money because it upset them both. Deborah's lodger David left work early that morning, and investigators were able to piece together Mitchell's movements using CCTV footage. At 6.23am, Mitchell left home on Brundesbury Park in Wilsdon, wearing a hat, scarf and a backpack, 
and wheeling a large blue suitcase. It does not seem heavy, as Mitchell easily lifts it with one hand and manoeuvres it along the street towards Brondesbury Park Station. It is then believed that Mitchell used her mother's freedom pass to travel to Stonebridge Park. Just before 8am, she arrives on Chaplin Road and is captured walking towards Deborah's house. She can be seen crossing the road close to the property and it's assumed she entered it shortly after. At 1.13pm, over five hours later, Gemma Mitchell is seen again on CCTV, this time walking away from Deborah's home, wheeling the blue suitcase and a smaller red suitcase. The blue suitcase appears significantly heavier and bulkier. At one point, Mitchell kicks it in frustration as it is difficult to move. CCTV cameras around the Wembley area tracked Mitchell's movements for the next two hours, and she attempts to call taxi firms to try and get a lift back to Wilston. Using the name Julia, Mitchell asked to be dropped off at a different address in Brondesbury Park. The taxi driver who picked her up outside the library on Harrow Road, Sudbury, close to Deborah's home, later said that he noticed Mitchell had an injury. He offered to lift the suitcases for her. Describing what happened, the driver stated, The large suitcase looked heavy, and I saw that she had a bandaged hand, so I asked if I could give her some help. She was a little reluctant, but that's what we do. We help customers with their luggage and so I grabbed hold of the case. But it was so heavy that I struggled to get it into the boot on my own. And using her good hand, the lady had to help me. I asked her what was in it and why it was so heavy, and she said just books. The journey to Brondesbury Park took around half an hour, and Mitchell sat in silence the entire time. After being dropped off outside a property next to her home, she told the driver she was £2.50 short on the fare. The driver let it go. He subsequently remarked, The lady said she was meeting someone, but as soon as she got out of the car, she went quickly to the boot and pulled the heavy suitcase out onto the ground. She handled it really rough not like most people who tend to be quite careful with their backs. The wheels on the case seem to have buckled slightly from the weight. That was the last I saw of her. CCTV showed Mitchell waiting in a neighbour's driveway until the taxi pulled away out of sight. She then wheeled the suitcases through the collected objects that littered the entrance to her property. Investigators discovered later that evening, Mitchell turned up at St Thomas Hospital in central London to receive treatment for a broken finger. She told the medical staff that she had injured her hand by shutting it in a car door, something later disproved by the taxi driver's statement. 
When Deborah Chong's lodger returned home that evening, David noticed she was not there. By 10.48pm, he contacted the police and reported the disappearance. David explained that Deborah had left her glasses and mobile phone behind and was extremely vulnerable. During the initial missing persons inquiry, the police went through Deborah's phone, making contact with people she was known to speak with. They found it hard to contact Gemma Mitchell, but she eventually replied via email, writing, I tried to return your call yesterday. I was getting in touch to let you know that Deborah said she was planning to stay with friends near her sister's family on the coast. She said she felt neglected on June 7th, 2021 and wanted to leave. Mitchell was not seen leaving her home much between June 11th and June 26th. On that day, she used her neighbour's phone to hire a car for 24 hours. Investigators learned that Mitchell's neighbour, Virgil Georgita, had passed away a few months earlier. She had accessed his home and taken valuable documents, including utility bills and his passport. She also stole his mobile phone and later pretended to be him when speaking with his network provider in order to get his phone reactivated. She used this device to book the hire car from Hertz. When the phone was later analysed, it showed that there had been Google Maps searches for Sulcombe, North Sands and Cliff Road on the Devon coast. Then CCTV footage shows Mitchell placing a large white sheet into the boot of the car before struggling to move a blue suitcase down the road on a trolley as she attempts to put it into the car's boot. Mitchell drove the grey Volvo from London towards the coast, leaving her home just before 10am. The car is captured by automatic number plate recognition cameras driving west on the M4 towards Bristol around an hour later. At 2pm she is seen buying petrol there in a service station. Around four hours later, Mitchell pulls onto a co-op garage forecourt on Solcombe Road in Marlborough, not far from the coast. Nicola Powell was inside the garage when she heard the unmistakable sound of metal grinding as a grey Volvo drove onto the forecourt and stopped just before hitting the shop. The car was driven into the service station through the exit site. The female driver, later identified as Gemma Mitchell, seemed, quote, spaced out and nonplussed. Nicola Powell later said, She was out of the car, standing by the rear, looking a little lost and confused. So in my nature, I just went over and said, Is everything okay? She was sort of a bit vacant. Mitchell told Nicola she had been visiting family in Paynton over an hour away. She had wanted to take a scenic, leisurely drive along the coast, but noticed the car had felt strange. 
Nicola would explain that Gemma was wearing loose-fitting clothing, the type worn when doing home improvements or gardening, unsuitable for a family gathering. Mitchell told Nicola she did not have network reception and asked if she could borrow her mobile phone to call for roadside assistance. An AA roadside mechanic, Lee Gardin, arrived at the co-op garage around 8pm. Witnesses said that Mitchell had waited in the torrential rain with the car doors open until the mechanic appeared. Lee Gardin found that both the tyre and the alloy were damaged, but not to a level that would occur during a blowout. Mitchell explained that she had not stopped sooner because she felt unsafe pulling over. The mechanic later said, She seemed a bit confused. She was quite intense. She was listening to me. I could see that she was listening, taking all the information in from our conversation, but I'm not sure what I was saying was sinking in. She asked a lot of questions. I was having to repeat myself three or four times. When Lee Gardin went to the boot to access the spare tyre, Mitchell moved a small travel suitcase out of his way and he noticed a strange odour. He remarked, It was a musty smell, as if someone is staying overnight living in the vehicle with all the windows up with no ventilation or airflow. A very odd smell. It was not something I had smelt before. As he changed the tyre, Gardin spoke to Mitchell about why she was in the area, and she said she had been visiting friends and wanted to drive somewhere to watch the sunrise. When Gardin went to place the damaged wheel into the boot of the car, Mitchell asked him to put it on the back seat, which surprised him. Gardin explained, I sort of said I didn't think this is the safest idea because if there was an accident, the wheel was in the back of the car. Also for damage, it was a brand new premium vehicle with leather seats. They're going to be liable for the charges. She still wanted it in the back. After the car was repaired, Mitchell pulled out of the garage in the direction of Solcombe just before 9pm. Later that evening, the hire car was recorded by a CCTV camera on Bennett's Road, less than 50 metres from where Deborah Chong's body would be found the following morning. Gemma Mitchell arrived back in London before 7am that morning and returned the hire car. She told the company that the tyre had just blown out while driving. Investigators were able to collate and piece together information quickly during the week after Deborah's body was discovered. By midnight on July 6, 2021, they had enough evidence to arrest Gemma Mitchell. Metropolitan police officers arrived at the scaffolding-covered property at Brondesbury Park at 11.45pm. Body cam footage captures the moment an officer breaches the door using a battering ram and is met by a startled Gemma Mitchell on the other side. (laughs) 
Hello there. Hello, how are you? Yeah, good. Uh, there's no answer. Sorry, what's oh, your name? Sorry, we're asleep. Are you Gemma? Yeah, I am. Okay, Gemma. Can you have a second? Sure, sure. Come on, one second. Sorry, can I... Gemma, do you want to come out? Yeah, sure, sure. Alright. Hands just want to see them. Hands just your hands. Alright, Gemma, at this moment, I'm resting on suspicion of murder. Okay, you don't have to say anything, but you may have a defence. Do you want to mention one question? Something which you later rely on court. Anything you do say, they'll be given evidence, okay? Once we're in the cuffs. Am I allowed to... I'll go explain everything to you. Okay? Should I get some shoes If you want a one sec... Who's inside at the moment? Um, mother. Your mother? Yeah. Okay. Is it? If you want to... Oh, because someone left that up. Yeah. Let's step back inside. Is anyone else inside? Just your mum? Yeah. There is someone else inside. No, just your mum. Alright, do you want to... Bring her in. Bring her in? We're just going to come in for a sec, okay? Gemma Mitchell and the officers exchange pleasantries before she is handcuffed and informed that she is being arrested on suspicion of murder. After being cautioned and taken inside the home, Mitchell replies, I know that she has gone away. She then turns to her mother. It's not true, she says. There's no one, mummy. As Gemma Mitchell was taken to the station for questioning, the police began searching her home. Mitchell's mother lived on the ground floor, while her daughter inhabited the upper level. It was later labelled a, quote, hoarder's residence. The rooms were filled to the brim with rubbish, building materials, boxes, Freezers full of food, old mattresses and suitcases. The kitchen was hazardous and rotting food and piles of paperwork covered every surface. The bathroom was stained and in disrepair and some rooms were completely inaccessible. A comprehensive search of the property took teams of forensic officers weeks to finish. Investigators would find some orange rope among the piles of rubbish, identical to the length of rope found in Deborah's handbag when her body was discovered. An entry written for June 26th on a wall calendar said, 8am, collect body, back, see letter, will copy, two-hour walk. That was the date Mitchell was seen driving the suitcase to Solcombe, one day before Deborah's remains were found. In Mitchell's bedroom, officers recovered the red suitcase she had been seen with after leaving Deborah's home on the day she was reported missing. It contained documents belonging to Deborah Chong, including her passport, driving license, visa and bank cards. Also discovered in the bedroom was a box containing Mitchell's own will written in 2017 and a will in Deborah's name dated October 27, 2020. It named Mitchell a trustee and apart from small gifts to charity, the will purported to leave 95% of Deborah Chong's estate to Mitchell. Quote, for the benefit of nine Brondesbury Park projects. The remaining 5% was to be left to Mitchell's mother, Hilary Collard. 
data analyst examined Mitchell's computer and found that a Word document of the will had been created on July 1st, 2021, when Deborah was already dead. A second will in Deborah's name was found, which named her lodgers as the executors of her estate and left her home to brothers and sisters of God's household live in the house generationally eternally of 196 Wembley. It was later discovered that on June 19th, Mitchell had downloaded a PDF version of the will as well as other documents titled Guide to Your Will, Will Storage Guide and Signing Guide. There was also a newspaper article that had been torn out from June 28th, titled The Do's and Don'ts of Claiming an Estate. Investigators believe that Mitchell had used Deborah's passport to forge her signature on the fraudulent will. Deborah's real will was found at her home, and she had wanted her estate to be split between her family members and various charities. The blue suitcase seen in CCTV footage was recovered from the roof of Mitchell's neighbour's shed. It was theorised this was used to transport Deborah Chong's body. Although no forensic evidence was found, a bloody blue and white tea towel was recovered from the front pocket. A sample of the bloodstain identified Deborah's DNA. At the station, Gemma Mitchell was questioned by detectives about her movements and repeatedly gave no comment responses. At one point, an officer asks why she waited at the service station with the car doors wide open, even though it was raining. And they've said that the person driving the Volvo waited in the car all that time with the windows down and the front door open, the passenger door open, when it was literally chucking it down with rain and it was windy. Why is that, Gemma? No comment. The car stank, didn't it, Gemma? No comment. Stunk of a dead person. No comment. Stunk of Deborah's decomposing body. Is that right, Gemma? No comment. 36-year-old Gemma Mitchell was charged with murder at Wilsdon Magistrates Court on July 10th, 2021. At a plea hearing in the Old Bailey on September 28th, Mitchell pleaded not guilty to murdering Deborah Chong. She was remanded into custody at HMP Bromfield until the trial could begin the following year. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. The trial began at the Old Bailey on October 11th, 2022. Opening the trial for the Crown, Deanna Hare KC told the jury, It is the prosecution case that she assaulted and killed the deceased and then transported her body to Sulcombe in a large blue suitcase, where she attempted to dispose of it in the woods next to Bennett Road. The prosecutor went on to describe Deborah Chong as somewhat vulnerable. Deanna Hare Casey told jurors that Deborah suffered from mental health issues and had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Hare said, Her behaviour could be erratic and sometimes verbally aggressive. She appears to have been very open about her financial affairs. She had a habit of offering to leave her home to others after her death and offering people money. Many refused. Some did not. In 2021, her mental state appears to have been deteriorating. In March 2021, she was referred to the local community mental health team because she kept sending letters to Prince Charles and Boris Johnson. They contained nothing alarming, but were sufficiently bizarre to suggest she might be suffering a relapse. Testimony from those who knew Deborah Chong followed. 
Dr. Alison Callan told the court that Deborah had a perceived relationship with the then Prime Minister and Prince Charles. She was under the impression that she could communicate with them through YouTube. As a result of the troubling letters she sent to Buckingham Palace, Deborah was prescribed antipsychotic medication, but within a month, she complained that it was impacting her sleep and affecting her appetite. Ex-lodgers and acquaintances spoke about the 67-year-old's mental state and behaviour. Fellow church member Michael McGreal told the court that Deborah was writing letters to Boris Johnson and Prince Charles about the running of the country. According to McGreal, she had strong political views and was worried about climate change. Marina Alvaranqua had been one of Deborah's lodgers in late 2020. She told the court, The last two weeks before moving out, Deborah was not eating or sleeping. She would spend hours writing letters to the Prime Minister and the government. Deborah was very passionate about politicians. There were times when I thought she would physically hit me, although this never transpired. Lorena said that she had moved out in November 2020 after becoming concerned that Deborah was acting aggressively. When she learned that Deborah was missing, Lorena grew even more worried. She said, I felt something bad had happened to Deborah. I was concerned about Deborah because she did not take much care when she met and spoke to strangers. Another lodger, Anthony Giacomo, explained he initially found Deborah pleasant and chatty, but she soon became unreasonable and spoke at length about politics. In early June, she told him that she was unwell and needed him to move out, so she could get help around the house. The court was shown a message she had sent Anthony Giacomo. It read, Spirit of world, flesh devil, kill and destroy humans, all of us. Jurors would not hear from the defendant Gemma Mitchell. However, they were told she had completed a degree in human sciences at King's College in 2004. Detailing her background, the prosecutor said, During her degree course, she completed a module called The Structural Basis of Human Function, in which she was taught how to dissect the entire human body, with the exception of the head and neck. She also completed an additional special study course in experimental anatomy. Such was her aptitude for anatomy, she was awarded the Hamilton Prize for Anatomical Excellence. In 2009, she completed a degree course in osteopathy at the British School of Osteopathy, which included modules on the anatomy, biomechanics and pathophysiology of the human body. While working as an osteopath, Mitchell's website listed that she was, quote, attuned to subjects in neuroanatomy, genetics, 
and dissection of human cadavers. The prosecutor went on to highlight how the failed renovation projects at Mitchell's home had become a point of contention that spilled over into her friendship with Deborah Chong. Their text message exchanges were shown to the court. It was evident that although Deborah had initially offered to bankroll the construction, she changed her mind. According to the prosecution, this was the reason why Gemma Mitchell ended Deborah's life. Deanna Hare KC said, The motive is clear. Money. A large sum was needed to complete the repairs on the defendant's home, and in Mi Quen Chong the defendant found someone from whom she thought she could get it, if not when she was alive, then by forging her will after she had killed her. The prosecutor presented the different wills found in Mitchell's home that had been doctored in order for her to secure Deborah's estate. Deanna Here Casey also showed the jury the genuine will that Deborah had signed a number of years before her death, stating that she wished for her home to be managed by the church and disposed of when it was beneficial to do so. In reference to the will found in Mitchell's home that appointed her as a trustee, the prosecutor said, Apart from some specific gifts to charity, it purported to leave 95% of the deceased estate to the defendant to be applied for the benefit of nine Brondesbury Park projects and 5% to the defendant's mother, Hilary Collard. The prosecution say this will was a fake, manufactured by the defendant and the signatures forged by her. Some of the wording of this will bore a striking similarity to the wording of the defendant's will. It contains basic errors of law and appears to have been copied by someone without legal qualifications. The jury was shown the CCTV evidence that pictured Gemma Mitchell walking to Deborah's home on the morning of the murder and leaving the property later with two suitcases. Referring to the images, the prosecutor said, The larger of the two was obviously very heavy and difficult to manoeuvre. It is the prosecution case that it contained the body of Mi Quen Chong. The prosecution alleged that the suitcase containing Deborah's remains had been stored in Mitchell's garden for two weeks until she disposed of them. Acting on behalf of Gemma Mitchell, her barrister Richard Jory KC did not dispute that his client was in the footage, but argued that Mitchell had absolutely nothing to do with the murder. Dr. Deborah Cook, who examined Deborah Chong's body, testified about the condition of the remains. When asked if the severed head could have been damaged and defleshed by animals, she said, In my experience of animals taking flesh from the skull, which I have seen, they are not careful about where they take it from, so this is very unusual. It caused me to raise my eyebrows. The headband was nicely in place, 
if animals had accounted for all the defleshing of the skull. Dr. Cook was also asked if, perhaps, it was possible Deborah's injuries could have been caused by an accidental fall, being pushed or having chest compressions in a resuscitation attempt. The expert witness replied, If that hypothetical possibility was put to me, that offers an explanation for the skull fracture. Then the rib fractures as well. It does not explain decapitation. The pathologist concluded that Deborah had been killed before she got to Salcombe. However, Dr. Cook could not determine the exact cause of death due to decomposition. Expert testimony followed from radiologist Dr. Curtis O'Fire. He had examined a CT scan of Deborah's skull. Dr. O'Fire identified what he believed to be the point of impact that caused a complex skull fracture, with areas of inward depression and linear breaks. The doctor was asked when he believed the injury had been inflicted. Quote, Based on the imaging I reviewed and my experience, this looks like a perimortem fracture, by which I mean the fracture occurring around the time of death. It was not possible to be more precise than that because of the amount of decomposition that has been sustained by the head. That is typical of a blunt traumatic impact to the skull. The right frontal region of the head had blunt force impact. Dr. O'Fire told the court that the injury could have been caused by Deborah hitting her head on a hard surface or being struck by a hard object with a smooth presenting surface. The doctor had also been asked to examine the dimensions of the blue suitcase that the prosecution alleged Deborah's remains had been transported in. He said, My opinion was the suitcase, with the dimensions provided to me, could accommodate the body with the head attached or without. That would have been in the fetal position curled up on the side. Dr. O'Fire explained that his theory had been tested by someone slightly larger than the 5 feet 2 inch victim and they could fit inside a small suitcase. Highlighting the victim's struggles with her mental health, a statement from the defendant's mother, Hilary Collard, was read to the court. Hilary had met Deborah after Deborah became acquainted with her daughter. They discussed the renovation work at the property Mitchell shared with her mother. In the statement, Hilary Collard wrote, Deborah is a bit mental because of the things she says. She is crazy but she thinks she's going to get married to Prince Charles and she is all the time setting up table settings for Prince Charles and to have dinner parties. She had fake invitations and she invited people because she said she is going to get married to Prince Charles. Deborah is absolutely crackers. I believe after I met Deborah, Gemma told me she was crackers. Mitchell's mother explained that Deborah had offered to put some money into repairing their home, 
but later decided against it. Hilary Collard's statement continued, Gemma told me that Deborah phoned her and just changed her mind. Deborah said that she was not going to give her the money after all, and Gemma just accepted what she said. But I don't think there was any pressure put on her. She phoned up Gemma and said, I can't give it to you anymore. Gemma seemed all right after she received the call. Before the trial broke for the weekend after the second week of testimony, Judge Common Sergeant of London Richard Marks KC told the jurors they could consider a manslaughter charge. Quote, It is not the case for either the prosecution or the defence that the defendant is guilty of manslaughter as opposed to murder. The prosecution say this is a case of premeditated murder, and that is the reason why the defendant took the suitcase with her to the house on June 11th, i.e. for the purpose of removing the body. The defence, on the other hand, say that the prosecution have failed to prove that Deborah Chong was unlawfully killed and then, even if you conclude that she was, they have failed to prove that she was unlawfully killed by the defendant. Referencing the expert testimony from the pathologist, the judge said that the injuries seen could have been caused by blunt force trauma or a push. In either instance, the jury could find Mitchell guilty of manslaughter if they believed she had killed Deborah, but had not intended to cause her serious harm. The judge explained that would be the case even if she had cut off the victim's head and disposed of her body. Richard Marks KC highlighted the fact that it was a circumstantial case. There was no witnesses to the murder, and even the lies Mitchell had been proven to have told were not evidence of guilt, nor was her decision not to testify in her own defence. The judge said, You must not jump to the conclusion that her silence proved the case against her. It does not. It is open to you to conclude that the reason why the defendant remained silent is that in truth... She had no answer to the prosecution case or none that she thought would stand up in cross-examination. Gemma Mitchell's counsel argued against the prosecution's theory that his client had concealed the murder she committed. Richard Jury Casey told the jury that there were neither witnesses to any assault nor had anything been found during the 10-day search of Mitchell's property by 50 officers and sniffer dogs. The barrister said, No one saw Gemma Mitchell go into the property, take anything in. No one noticed hearing or seeing any disturbance at all. No one appeared during the time when Gemma Mitchell was said to be in sight. There is no evidence after all of that that any DNA of Deborah's was found in sight. There is no evidence of cleaning or of anything in particular incriminating. In fact, quite the reverse. For their theory about what happened to be correct, you would think something of Deborah's DNA would be inside the house. 
jury also argued that it was purely speculative that the prosecution claimed Deborah's body was inside the suitcase Mitchell was seen pulling on CCTV. He said, The common sense conclusion you can make is that by this time, something had been put inside it which was heavy. Of course, that's right. Certainly something had gone in there since she left home. But to go further, to try and imagine a body in that case is simply speculation. You cannot see inside that case. It would be simply a guess. In a final attempt to dismantle the Crown's case before the jury was sent to deliberate, Mitchell's counsel said, They have got it completely wrong. None of this happened like they say. There is a total absence of evidence. They have created scenarios that are not backed up by their own evidence. After seven hours of deliberation, the jury returned with a unanimous verdict. As it was announced, Gemma Mitchell appeared shocked. A mother blew kisses to her from the gallery as she was led away from the dock. Mitchell was found guilty. Detective Chief Inspector Jim Eastwood spoke with reporters outside of the Old Bailey after the verdict. Today at the Old Bailey, a 38-year-old woman, Gemma Mitchell, has been found guilty of that murder. Deborah was born in Malaysia. Through her own hard work and initiative, she made a good life for herself, finally settling in London, where she was a much-valued and loved member of the community. The jury's heard that her later years were marred by poor mental health, but that throughout this time she never lost her firm religious beliefs, nor her belief in the goodness of charity. And it was upon these beliefs that Gemma Mitchell prayed in an attempt to take a significant amount of money from Deborah. When Deborah refused, Mitchell murdered her. DCI Eastwood went on to say, Mitchell has never accepted responsibility for Deborah's murder, so there are questions which remain unanswered. Why she kept her body for a fortnight? Why she decapitated her? Why she disposed of her remains in Solcombe? What we do know is that these were evil acts carried out by an evil woman, and the only motive clearly was one of financial gain. Gemma Mitchell's mother also spoke outside of court and expressed her firm belief in her daughter's innocence. I mean, Gemma is a kind and gentle person. She would never do anything like this. It is absolutely certain, and I do not believe that she, she committed this crime. I do not believe it. Hilary Collard argued that the evidence did not prove her daughter was involved. Furthermore, she did not agree with the expert's opinion that the body had been decapitated. I'm absolutely agog. I'm absolutely disgusted. She, how could you squash a rigor mortis body into a suitcase and drag it out and lay it on the ground and your DNA is not on it? 
This is makes me so furious. The body was on the ground. It was so decomposed that the head came away from the body. It was not decapitated, which they keep saying all the time. And if she was murdered at Deborah's house, there would have been blood. You would have been able to see everything. There was nothing there. Gemma went there to pick up crockery and cutlery and things from Deborah because she knew that she wasn't coming back to the house and she left all her stuff on the front of the house. And she, uh, how she got down to Salcombe, I don't know, but the police conveniently didn't follow her on CCTV, but they did Gemma. She, said, she asked me if I would go with her on the day and I said no. She said she wanted to go to Salcombe because she wanted a day out at the seaside. And I think she told Deborah, and I think Deborah went down there as well. And I think Deborah, she either tripped over or she committed suicide. That is what I believe. She's, she didn't have, she wasn't hit on the head. Her head was not decapitated and Gemma's DNA was not on the body or Deborah's DNA in the suitcase. So where are we now? The sentencing hearing was held the day after the verdict was handed down. Gemma Mitchell became the first woman to be sentenced for murder in a televised hearing. Deborah Chong's sister Amy appeared via video link from Malaysia with Deborah's nephew Ryan and nieces Pinky and Yinky. In her victim personal statement, Amy Chong said, Deborah's death was a shock to us all. It was difficult to comprehend how it could have happened to her. Although we are not close due to certain differences of opinion with regard to religion, it saddens me she had to go through such a horrifying ordeal and tragic death. Amy described how she had had trouble sleeping since her sister's murder and the details of what happened had deeply upset her. She told the court, Mitchell is the crazy one who steals people's belongings after they died. We still do not understand how she died. Did she suffer? This mystery will haunt me forever. Richard Marks KC then passed sentence. As has no doubt been explained to you by your counsel, the only sentence which the court can impose for murder is one of life imprisonment. But I am required to fix a minimum term which you must serve in any event before you would be eligible to be considered for parole. Whether or not you will be released at the end of the minimum term will depend on the view taken by the parole board at that time as to whether you continue to represent a danger to other members of the public. I am in no doubt whatsoever, uh, and your counsel realistically acknowledges it, that this was a murder done for gain, and as such, pursuant to Schedule 21 of the Sentencing Act 2020, the starting point must be one of 30 years' imprisonment. 
the sole mitigation is that you are effectively a woman of previous good character. Although given the gravity of your crime, in my judgment, that entitles you to only a very modest discount. As to aggravating features, there are the following. <coughs> Firstly, the amount of planning and premeditation that went into this offence, although it is right to acknowledge that this is bound to be an invariable feature of a killing done for gain, and I must avoid double counting in that regard. Secondly, there is the issue of Deborah's mental and physical vulnerability, to which I have already referred and of which you were very well aware. Thirdly, there is the chilling aspect of what you did to and with her body after you had killed her. You have shown absolutely no remorse, and it appears that you are in complete denial as to what you did, notwithstanding what, in my judgment, amounted to overwhelming evidence against you. The enormity of your crime is profoundly shocking, even more so given your apparent religious devotion, as well as the fact that Deborah Chong was a good friend to you and had shown you great kindness. The sentence of the court is one of life imprisonment and the minimum term of imprisonment that you will in any event be required to serve will be 34 years. There will be deducted from that term the 475 days that you have spent in custody on remand and the statutory surcharge will apply. Would you please take the defendant downstairs? In the wake of Gemma Mitchell's conviction, those who knew her in the years prior expressed contrasting views. Her friend Karen Juratek spoke with a reporter for the Sunday Mirror. Karen was unsurprised and described how she always had an odd feeling about Mitchell. She creeped me out, Karen said. The way she'd ask questions... She was constantly going behind my back but extremely sweet to my face. She was like a snake. It just shows you never know your friends. I'm just thinking about the times I was alone with her. I slept at her apartment. It's absolutely awful to think that could have been me. An ex-boyfriend who did not want to be named was also interviewed but explained the person he knew would never have murdered anyone. Quote, I am absolutely convinced she has developed some kind of personality disorder. She was naive about people. She expected everyone to be nice to each other. If she became close to someone and they said something she didn't agree with or did something which in her head wasn't the right thing to do, she would be really disturbed by that. 
She would be really gregarious, happy, bubbly, outgoing, and then her personality would suddenly flip. She would emotionally shut down. She would stare into the distance. Her face became a blank canvas. You couldn't communicate with her as she was somewhere else. And then suddenly she would come back into the room. Witnesses in the case have spoken about the impact the murder had on their lives. The taxi driver who had collected Gemma Mitchell after she killed Deborah and helped load the suitcases into his car voiced his horror and spoke of his trouble sleeping since the incident. To have helped this woman transport a body of a woman she murdered haunts me. There was no blood seeping out of the case and no smell. I would never have known what was in it. I checked the boot afterwards and there was no stain. The woman wasn't acting strangely. She didn't appear worried or scared. She was quite calm. Lee Garden, the AA roadside mechanic who had changed Mitchell's tyre as she travelled to Solcombe to dispose of Deborah's body, expressed his thoughts in an interview with the BBC. With hindsight, Gardin suspected that Mitchell had punctured the tyre when she pulled up to the curb at the side of the road to dump the body and then drove to the service station for assistance. He said he had not seen a blue suitcase and believed she had left it at the dump site until the wheel was repaired and then went back to get it. The Guardian told the BBC, In 15 years with the AA, I have been out to plenty of breakdowns and every breakdown is a different situation and different people. But I've never come across anyone like Gemma Mitchell in all my time. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, 
and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to the rise and fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.